We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coach Koch again, he said, is the 2024-2025 class a gap-closing class? How do you feel about the 2024 class since it's about finished? I certainly feel the 20. I mean, 25, it's way too early for that. You have a gap-closing quarterback. Let's see how the rest of it fills out. 24 class to me is absolutely a gap-filling class. I mean, you got a big-time quarterback. You're bringing in phenomenal offensive skill talent, Ryan. I mean, when Aeneas Williams is your second running back in a class, that's a freaking loaded running back. 330 run. yards and four. Did you see that 90 yard run he had? Like, dude was flying. He was right. Flying, yeah. And nobody's yeah. talking about him, right? Cam yeah. Williams, Logan Saldate is having a monster senior year. You know, yes. uh, Mike Gilbert, you're bringing in arguably the best left tackle prospect in high school football in Gearby Lambert in the 24 class, anyway. The defensive class to me is a little bit more of a question mark on whether it's gap closing by itself. Or if it's you, but at just the offensive class alone makes this a gap closing class. Just, it just it does because everything that you're you want and you need is in that class. Elite big time running backs, power, thunder, versatility, speed at receiver, playmaking ability receiver, like size at receiver. All those things that you're you're lacking. Hey, we need more tackles. You're getting two to me, really good tackle prospects and Styles Prescott, who's more of a boomer bust guy than Gearby is, but Gearby's just, an, to me, has elite tools. His senior year, hey, there's some game film. If you guys want to watch Gearby, there's some actual game film from Catholic Memorial online from his senior year. Go find it. He's a flipping stud. And, um, oh, yes. And even, and even at these bigger, Ryan, he looks more coordinated this year, even with the additional yeah. size. Uh, he's been un- unbelievably good defensively it's like there's there's so many boomer bus guys that it's kind of hard for me to say it by itself is a gap closing class because of how well they've recruited defensively the previous two years right because you know safety i don't know and you know corner how's carson hobbs going to be linebackers a gap closing class no doubt defensive line maybe depending on how logan thomas pans out i think on the edge they will be yeah well here's here's my point though Raw talent, but like we got to see Logan Thomas like develop. 
Bryce Young still needs to take another gap. How does Cole Mullins come back from his injury? There's potential there, but it's still kind of low floor, high ceiling. But the ceiling is high. You know what I mean? So overall, as a defensive class, gap closing, it's at least debatable. But when you combine that with what they've done on offense, Ryan, this class as a whole is absolutely a gap closing class. Uh, And they needed it on that side of the ball. 25, it's just, it's way too early for me. You're off to, you're off to a great start in 2025. Obviously you got your big time quarterback. You have a really talented pass rusher out of the state of Alabama. You have some really talented football players already committed in the 2025 class, but there's a lot of targets that are on the board that are going to determine that, right? Can you close on a Taylor Taylor or on a Christopher Burgess on an right? Because you have no receivers, you have no DBs, you have no linebackers. Right. Great start. No lineman. Yeah. No lineman. Right. Yeah. Right. Offensive lineman. I mean. Right. I knew what you meant. Um, mm-hmm. 24 class, Ryan, to me, if they can land the kid from North Carolina, um, it's Namdi. Yeah. yeah. Namdi Agboko. That would, that would, now he's not an elite player by himself. Like he's not an elite prospect. He's a pretty good prospect, but you put him and Sevillano together, two, three natural 300 plus pounders. That's a huge boost to this to this because that's something that Notre Dame desperately wants yeah. uh, in, in their interior and at least gives you some size. So you've got you'd have big time potential on the edge, although raw, but you'd have some beef up front because beef to me translates because you don't have to be a great player, but you can do battle and you can eat up space and, and give me what I'm looking for, you know, and, and then put those two kids up the middle and say, Eat up blocks so that Jaden Osbury and Drake Bowen and Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed and Kingston and Bodie can just roam free. You know, that's what Notre Dame yeah. is looking for. So that even though I don't view him as like a top hundred player just by himself, I don't anyway. I think yeah. that would be a big pickup because it's a need from what you're looking for. Like Georgia has a lot of him. Notre Dame doesn't. And that would be him, that would be a big, a big one for Notre Dame, in my opinion. If they could, if they could. Like, I would love to have Carter Nelson. That's not happening. Ryan, you had an update on the message board. But, like, that's a position where you're, like, adding a strength on a strength already. Like, sure. that kid, to me, would would bring something that you just don't have and that they want at, at defensive tackle, which would be – like, when if Sean Sevillano is your smallest interior guy coming in, like, that's a good – that's a – yeah. Well, I mean, even to take that a step further, in the, in the 2024 preseason, right, you're talking about – your interior defensive line, if you get retained Riley Mills and Howard Cross, you're going to be talking about Riley Mills at a little over 300 pounds, along with 330-pound Nandi Agboko, 310 pounds Sean Sevillano, 300-plus pound Gabriel Rubio. I'm sure that Jason Onye at that point will probably be 295, 300. Yeah. A, what was a undersized interior defensive line just two years ago would now be 300 plus across the board, massive interior defensive line. Which we're now Armel Mukum at 290, 295 is one of your small guys, and he's twitched up. Yeah, <laughs> so right. yeah, yeah, right, right. Gosh. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, look, I know it's not ranked as high uh, as I think it should be. I'm yeah. telling you guys, this 24 class has a chance to be special at Notre Dame. Yeah, it really does, in my opinion. Uh, we'll see if it does, you know, like a guy like Logan Thomas, he's either going to kind of, he could not do anything at Notre Dame, just be a career backup that never figures it out. But if the light goes on, he's going to be a freak pass rusher. You know, Bryce Young, 
you know, maybe he never becomes that. But if if he, if the light goes on and he and he continues to develop, he's got a chance to be really really good. You know, yeah. um, he's he's risen yeah, his floor a lot this season as well. Agree. He's really developed. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Ryan. His ceiling is always been kind of immense. The question is the floor, yeah. and yeah. that is certainly, certainly, certainly improved. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame has just two games left in the regular season, and this weekend is the home finale against Wake Forest. If you're looking for last-minute tickets to either game or to your favorite concert or comedy club, Game Time is the place for you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's gametime.co. Had a couple questions about the press conference I want to get to, Ryan. Cajun Domer says, based on Marcus Freeman's press conference, do you think the coaches were unintentionally forcing Sam Hartman to lock down on wide receivers to throw downfield and 50-50 balls? Feel optimistic on their adjustments. He made, I don't, I don't feel they have thrown a lot of downfield 50-50 balls. Like my response on Twitter was like, and he's like, look, we're not winning those 50-50 balls. And I'm like, what, the, the four of them you've thrown this year? Like, when have they thrown a bunch of 50-50 balls? I mean, I I don't remember them. They, they threw, like, what, one to Tobias Merriweather against Duke? Uh, They threw, I mean, I, I honestly can't even remember them making those type of throws. So I, I don't know what they're talking. I don't think they, you know. I, I don't I don't really yeah, 
I don't think they've thrown those balls a lot. So I can't say that they've forced him to lock on those receivers to throw downfield in the 50-50 balls because they they didn't do it. So I, I didn't quite understand that comment, to be completely honest with you. And, um, uh, yeah, and there, there's a couple other here, but there's a couple things I've read, and I'm going to go back and listen to it because I didn't get a chance to listen to it. We had a guy who's over here kind of talking about all the – repairs they need to do in the house and kind of plotting out the changes and things they're gonna have to make because of all the issues so i didn't get a chance to listen to it but i kind of read the transcript and i was like that doesn't make a lot of sense i want to go listen to it a little bit more in context and and see it because that one didn't didn't just didn't make a lot of sense to me nathan milton asks assuming notre dame wins out has the cost which is losing tyler buckner of getting a transfer quarterback sam hartman outweighed the benefits i don't know either way and i really like both sam and tyler yeah it, to me it did look I just I I've said this before. I don't really do the hindsight 50-50 thing for something like this when it's if it's not something that I was concerned about at the time. And to me, you know, it could be worse. Let's say Tyler stays and Sam doesn't come. And Tyler leads you to a 4-0 start and he gets hurt or let's say he gets hurt against Ohio State. Let's say he leads you to a victory but gets hurt at the end of the game. You're 5-0. and oh. What are the odds that Steve Angeli is going to be able to beat Duke or Louisville or USC or Clemson or – you know what I mean? Like, we don't know the answers to that because – and that's assuming the best-case scenario that you start off 5-0 and oh against those teams. Would Notre Dame have beat NC State with Tyler Buckner? I don't know. No, would he have been healthy at that time? What if he got hurt as early as he did again last year? What if he got hurt in game two? And so even if even if I were to say Tyler is everything that I think he can be as a quarterback, it, there's no guarantee he's going to stay healthy. It's never proven that. And so you had to take this chance, and they took a swing and didn't work out. And at least not to the degree that we had hoped it would, you know, which is a, a playoff berth and, and playing for a championship, but – I'm okay with it. It didn't work out. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna argue, you know, hey, how does it how does it pan out? And looking now, it's how it's panned out. You say maybe should have kept Tyler. I I just don't know that there's a guarantee it would have been as good. It may have been worse, and and Notre Dame couldn't have afforded that, in my opinion. So uh, I'm okay. They took the swing. If I'm gonna have a beef, I would say my beef would be. How they use Sam Hartman, not that they went out and got Sam Hartman. That'd be my bigger complaint. Next question, Jimmy McGill asks, who do you think starts at left tackle in the bowl game, assuming Joe Alt sits out? Be Tosh Baker. Alex Rohr with a two-parter. Alex says, I'm a fan of Coach Freeman, but when I listen to him speak, I just don't get the vibe that he sets the same level of expectations in terms of identity for the offense as he does the defense. When he speaks on defense, he talks about being dominant and aggressive. Offensively, he speaks more of field position, limiting TOs, and putting the defense in the better positions. Uh, and then, uh, whereas I feel like he should be talking is about how we get the offense to score a TD on every possession. Am I crazy for perceiving it that way? I mean, number one, you don't. it's not realistic to say you're going to score on every possession. So I don't think it, it helps you to set unrealistic ex- expectations. I think you set a standard for perfection. As opposed to, you know, because then you're just like, hey, you didn't get a touchdown, OG. Uh, it can just, I just, I, that's not really realistic. I, I think to me, the expectations are, are, are very clear on both sides of the ball. And I think that's the problem. 
for me is because, as you said, it, it's it. He does speak about dominance on defense, where offensively he speaks about basically complementing the defense. That, that's his entire language, and it's been that way for a while, and that's a that's a concern. And hey, we're gonna not turn the ball over, and and um, I mean, it just you can't coach to not make mistakes the way that they coach that way on offense. It's like everything is geared towards don't put the defense in a bad position. Well, no offensive coach goes in thinking that, but to me, when you lack that aggressiveness, you end up doing that anyway. Look at the Clemson game, the inability to move the ball on offense and the lack of aggressiveness on offense and just coaching like you were intimidated by Clemson meant that once Clemson got you in a field position battle, you were done because you you didn't have it in your DNA to do something in a game like that that was going to get you out of that bind. And and that's like I still remember, gosh, it was 2017. I'm trying to think it was it was at Michigan State. I'm trying to um I think it was Michigan, no, it's 2018. And I believe and Notre Dame's backed up. I think it was against Northwestern. Notre Dame's backed up deep inside their own territory. And they just come out first play and throw a bomb to Chase Claypool. Complete it, get it out. Michigan State or Northwestern, I think it was 2018. Uh, 2017 Michigan State or 2018 Northwestern. I think it was 28 Northwestern. I have to go back and find it, but it was just like throw a bomb and just completes it and, and just like I love it. And another time they did it that year and it was incomplete, but it was the mentality of, hey, we're gonna we're not afraid to take chances. And and he's so but my whole thing is if you have that kind of dominant defense, then you have a group that's more able to overcome those mistakes. And what you end up doing in turn is you end up actually putting your defense in the situations you thought you were trying to avoid by being so conservative offensively in the big games. You end up putting them in situations where one bad drive, one bad drive combined with one bad play against Ohio State means a loss because your your narrow your margin for error against Ohio State was so thin because of just your inability to just go make those plays offensively meant that you end up still losing that game anyway. Your 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 unwillingness to be aggressive at all against Clemson put your defense in a situation where them not playing their best game meant you lost. And so to me, I think he puts himself in you end up putting your off defense in the situations you say you want to avoid by being that way. And and um I just um I just don't think that it has really proven to be a, a winning recipe for me. And, and so to me, that's why I say all along, you can talk all you want about Jared Parker, this and making a coaching change in that and doing this and, and Chancey Stuckey's got to do a better job and Joe Rudolph's got to do a better job and Gino Gadouli's got to do a better job. And, and everybody involved in the offense whose name is not Dylan McCullough needs to do a better job on offense. That's all true. But it won't change to the degree that we all want it to unless there's a philosophical change from the head football coach. And that's the whole point of these of these questions, Alex, is that you have to be you, you can't be a team in today's era where you're off or your defense is getting all your love and, and, and attention. It's kind of like they're they're not as bad, but it's almost like they're the opposite of USC. You know, where it's kind of like your offense is just kind of meant to complement your defense and don't screw it up, don't turn it over. You know, like, and, yeah. and that's kind of the, what USC does with their day. Just, we don't need you to be any good. Just make a couple stops. You can force a couple of turnovers. We're going to be fine because we're going to score a million points. Well, the Notre Dame defense is, look, 
don't screw it up because we're going to shut them down. We're going to hold them under 20 points. Well, guess what? You held an opponent under 20 points this year who's going to pro- who has a chance to make a college football playoff, and you freaking lost, right? Yeah. And that's my whole point is, you know, yes, in the last two years against Ohio State, Ohio State has scored 19 points per game in two games against Ohio State. Notre Dame's record is 0-2 because Notre Dame scored 12 yeah. points a game because you have a philosophy of you've gone from one extreme to another when you look at a USC where you're so afraid to make a mistake that you paralyze yourself in big moments. And that has to change. Now, you don't change by saying, okay, let's go out and get an air raid guy and throw it 95 times. I'm not saying that. I'm okay being a team that's built around running the football. What I've said is you can't be ground and pound, but I always want Notre Dame to be a team that can run the football on anybody. But there's ways to do that that can lead you to being an explosive elite championship. Georgia wants to build a team that can run on everybody. But there's games they don't run well. But when it usually is, Ryan, it's because teams have have – have done so much to to take away the run that you now open up those big play pass opportunities, but they're always aggressive. And Georgia has yeah. no problem, whether it's Spencer, Spence, uh, Stetson Bennett or now with Carson Beck, say, hey, you want to put eight in the box? Cool. My guy's about to rip you up at quarterback because that mentality was always there. Now, if you come out yeah. and play you know, six guys in the box to play off, I got no problem running for three bills either. But the mentality is always there. We're going to attack. We're going to attack. We're going to attack. And it took Kirby Smart had to fire three coordinators before he finally found that answer. I hope Marcus Freeman finds that answer before he fires somebody else. Because I believe, from what I know of him, that Jared Parker actually has the the mindset of someone that needs to be more aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean he's got the play calling chops and all that. I I don't know the answer to that yet. But what I'm saying is, Jared Parker, to me, has been handcuffed all year by a philosophy that is instilled by the head coach that kind of has crippled them a little bit. And I still believe there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So you can go fire Jared Parker all you want, blame him all you want. And 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 I understand all that. And this isn't a defense of Jared Parker because I don't know if he's the guy or not because we haven't seen it. But if you don't make changes to your structure and your philosophy, it won't matter who you hire as head coach because who you hire is going to be determined by your philosophy. And so you can fire Jared Parker all you want, but you're just going to bring in the next Jared Parker to replace him. Was Gino Gadulli going to be the answer? Like, really? That's what people are talking about? Did you watch – and this is not a shot at Gino Gadulli, but did you watch his offense at Cincinnati last year? Did you watch them from – they scored 31 points, Ryan, on October 1st. They played eight games after that. Do you know how many times they scored 30 points or more after that game? Zero. Zero. They went eight games as a group of five team and never got the 30 points. Not once. That's who you're going to replace them with? No, that that's not. But if that's who you do, then that's what you're telling me is this is the philosophy is not going to change. Jared Parker just didn't run it well enough. And to me, you can use him as a scapegoat all you want, but that's what he would be if the other stuff doesn't change. Now you can do both. If they decide to do both, make a change, a coordinator, because we're making a philosophical change. Okay, that's a different conversation for a different day. But if that doesn't change, and Marcus Freeman doesn't allow his offense to 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 have the aggressive go attack nature that he allows them to have on defense. Then at the end of the day, ultimately nothing's going to change. They will have better players in a couple of years, and that will result in more wins. But it's going to result in the same number of championships, which is zero, in my opinion, until that changes. And if Coach Freeman's willing to make that change, then then I think this team has a chance to be special, Ryan, because he has a lot of chops 
of what you look for and what can be a great coach. He's still learning. I get all that. But if he's not willing to make a change here, the way that Kirby Smart made a change, and I think Dan Lanning learned from that because Dan Lanning came in when they had made the transition into what they became. And he's like, hey, you know what? Like, look, how how great of a compliment to our defense is this big play offense that we have? Because if we do have a bad game or we do have a bad series, our offense just gets it back. They get it back for us. And that's a mentality that you need to have. And so I'm watching Dan Lanning, who won a national championship as a defensive coordinator, go out there and put an offense on the field at Oregon that's scoring almost, like, I mean, almost 50 points a game. Yeah, His defense gives up more points than Notre Dame's has the last two years by a mile, a lot more. This year, they're slightly above Notre Dame. Last year, they were way above Notre Dame. But they're still winning a lot more games. Why? Because they can score on anybody. And, you know, until that changes, Ryan, I don't care who the coordinator is. This isn't even about Jared Parker. It's it's that it won't matter in the day until the head coach is willing to say, hey, we can still be a team that runs the ball and plays discipline while also being aggressive. That's what I want to see. As a famous American philosopher once said, scared money, don't make no money. And that's what I feel this offense is right now. <laughs> it's just very complacent and it's very conservative and it's boring. And I don't know how you elicit energy in that room right now because there's just nothing overly enthusiastic about playing all right. at the University of Notre Dame right now. And that needs to change. It has to change. Ryan, did you watch the Washington Utah game on Saturday? Like live, like listen to the commentary. Not, not cool. So yeah. there was a comment that was made that the announcer said that he was talking to some of the players. So we just we'd have fun going to work every day. Like we love practicing because our it's fun to play on this team. It's fun. And these Notre Dame kids are not having fun playing football right now. They're not. Yeah. And part I, of it's the lose. losing, but part of it's just the mental the, the mindset. It's like, oh my God, your your booties are so tight because you're so afraid to make a mistake. It's just not fun. Yeah. What's fun about playing in this offense right now? It's not. No. I, I think that's one one thing we lose sight of is that we're still talking about young men that are 18 between, between the ages of 18 and 24. They are still young, man, and they still are playing a kid's game. And if you're not having fun, usually you're not playing well. I mean, that's just what it comes down to, man. There's It's very hard to play tight all the time and be super mm-hmm. successful. It's just not – it has to be fun. It has to be fun yeah. at the end of the day. There has to be energy, and there's not energy right now. Yeah. I'll say this too. Tom Frawley says, if anything, Clemson taught Notre Dame a lesson by giving the ball to their second string back 36 times against the Irish. I would love to see Estime do that. That that's not the takeaway we should be having from that game. Because there's a reason Clemson's got four losses, guys. That ain't it. That ain't it. Um, yeah, yeah. That that um, we're talking about being conser- too conservative, and then we want to give our backup running back 36 carries. Yeah. So. Well, I, it was in context of other conversations. It was it would have made a little bit more sense, but like that's just not the that's just not the takeaway, in my opinion. Yeah, we are not Marshall. What's up? Should we expect the incoming freshman wide receiver to play and make an impact like Rico Flores and Jaden Greathouse, or do you expect better depth and development, and we can ease in the young guys? Well, no. I mean, I want Cam Williams being being. Forced and I want them to do with him what I've been saying they should have been doing with Tobias Merriweather all year, which is force the issue early. Like yeah. give Cam every opportunity to get it because he brings an element you just don't have outside, right? And he just he brings well, I mean, you could say Braylon James, but he's a more advanced player than Braylon was coming in, in my opinion. It's like a route runner, he's stronger than Braylon and all that. But like 
to me, next year, you want to talk about changing the offense, even if, like, let's say Tobias makes a jump and and those other guys make jumps. But to me, if you can inf- get an infusion of Cam Williams and Braylon James into that offense next year with their speed, it changes things dramatically. Even if everybody else just makes, like, normal year one to year two, year two to year three jumps, that changes the dynamic incredibly so because they just have – Hey, I'm just way faster than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Type speed, and yes. as high as I am on Tyus, Tobias Merriweather, he doesn't have that. You know what I mean? Like that's not who he is. Chris Tyree has that to a degree, but he's five nine. You know what I mean? Like Cam's six one plus. Braylon James is six two, and they can just I'm faster than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So mm-hmm. I would absolutely like to see that. And and Micah Gilbert's going to show up like looking like the most physically advanced dude they have on the roster. I mean, that's a, that's a ripped up dude at receiver, Ryan. I mean, that's a thick kid. So, um, and I know we're on the same page. I am not, I I don't want to bring anybody along slowly. That that's part of the problem. In my opinion, you, you did that with Tobias last year and you missed a lot of potential development time because of it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Cam Williams, Braylon James, Micah Gilbert. I want to see those guys playing a lot early as far as the reps and practice and then see yeah. what they can do home to the fire. And if they're not ready yet, then you can, you know, you can, okay, we're not ready yet, but give them that ch- every chance, man. Cause they could be right. difference makers for you, especially Cam Williams, but him and Braylon James, if the light goes on for Braylon this off season and Kim Williams is who we think we are, this receiving court is going to look a whole lot different next year, Ryan, a whole lot well, different. And, and if it doesn't play a ton better, they, uh, no speed excuse at wide receiver is not an excuse anymore. Gone. You have Braylon, who's a 4-4 kid, Cam Williams, who's a 4-4 kid, Logan Saldate, who's a borderline 4-4 kid, 4-5 flat type of kid. I know K.K. Uh, K. Smith, Caleb Smith, had timed re, you know similarly to that in the ballpark. If Chris Tyree comes back, he's a 4-3 high type of kid. So mm-hmm. you have legitimate 4-4 athletes everywhere. So that's not an excuse anymore if that happens. Yep, absolutely. I'm tired of the excuses just in general, but definitely, 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 if that's the case. And that kind of fits into the question that John A1 asked, Ryan. He says, in the 24 class, name one recruit that you're excited to see at Notre Dame, the most on offense, defense, and special teams. Just in year one, for me, yep. it's Cam Williams on offense. Yep. I mean, now I think Kedron Young has a chance to be a star. I think – but like sure. they don't need him to be that in, in in game one. They don't need Aeneas to come in right away and be that guy. They don't even need CJ necessarily to be that. Cam Williams is the guy to me that no, that day one comes in and is that guy. The number two guy for me is if he's that good that he plays as a freshman is Gearby Lambert. If he's that good where he's got to play as a freshman like Joe Walton, Blake Fisher did in twenty twenty one, I can live with that. But those two guys to me are can be year one needle movers. Now if if injuries happen and Keedron Young has got to be the guy. Fully confident, he's gonna he's gonna ball out, but they're yep. they're gonna be okay there if he needed time to develop. They need Cam Williams to come in right away. Uh, now yep. defensively, it's a little bit of a different deal. Special teams, heck, even there, like Cam return punts. I mean, just get that kid to flipping football. You know what I mean? But yeah. um, Saldate is you know. a pretty dang good returner too, man. I wouldn't yeah. oppose him returning some punts. Yeah. At some point, yeah. but there's know. going to be, and then you get KK Smith next year, who's going to have, who's got that ability as well. The nice thing about his injury is it wasn't a lower body injury, so it's not like he's got to rehab a yeah. knee or an ankle. He, he can still run and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's going to be some young kids with a lot of juice next year, man. A lot of juice. Uh, defensively, I, I don't know that there's a guy on the defense that I'm like, oh man, I hope that I can't wait to see that guy next year. 
Um, you know, may, yeah. maybe if Bryce Young takes another jump, he could kind of fit Bryce into that big end again. position. Yeah. yeah, that would be my pick. That yeah. would be my pick. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We had Karen. Karen, I'm not going to butcher your last name, so apologize in advance for that. Uh, what percent of Notre Dame woes can be attributed to the injuries and the timing of those injuries? Ryan, I think you can make two mistakes with the injuries that Notre Dame suffered this year. Number one is to be too dismissive of them. Oh, I mean, it just no, they should have no impact. You've missed Jaden Thomas almost the entire year. You've had Nyman Dion Coles almost the entire year. You lost Mitchell Evans before the Clemson game. Like, mm-hmm. I would be a fool to just dismiss the injuries. But I also think you can overstate them. And the reality is, is that some of these issues are, are, are beyond just you, you have injuries. Right. It's, right. it's an overall philosophy. I mean, cause you, you didn't, you did have Jaden Thomas going into the, the Ohio state game and we saw them unwilling to really throw the ball down the field in that game too. Cause he got hurt later in the game. So, yeah. I mean, the big plays they made in the past game, Ryan were like right up the seams or crossing route to Jaden Greathouse went for a big play crossing route to, to, to Chris Tyree that went for a big play. They weren't pushing the ball down the field against Ohio state. Right. And so, you know, to me that, that, that kind of was there already. Now it got exacerbated by not having Dion and Jane Thomas and then Jane Greathouse missed some time. Now he's got to go outside. You can't use him inside as much as you needed to. And I mean, so it's created some of those problems that are, they're even worse now than they would have been otherwise. But to me, your issues are not because of the injuries. The injuries have made those issues even worse. Uh, And so I, I still think the, the philosophical concerns are the greatest problem that have been um, amplified because of the injuries. Is that, I mean, is that kind of on the same page of where you are with that one? It's, I mean, for me, Karen, it's, it's never as bad as you think. It's never as good as you think there's context for every situation. I, as the wide receiver injuries specifically, has that hurts development and ability to create plays for sure. Is it still good enough regardless? No, it's not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 can, we can look at both vantage points and say, hey, that's stunted growth, and then also be like, hey, but even with the growth stunted in certain areas, still not good enough, right? right. You still weren't able to find answers. You still weren't able to make plays enough. Against Ohio State, Ryan, before all the injuries set in, all that yep. stuff, Notre Dame attempted seven passes that went beyond 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. Seven. Yeah. They went 0 for 2 on shots outside that 20 yards down the field. Like that's not good enough. That that that's yeah. that's coaching, that's coaching concern. They threw, let's see, 12, 15 passes under 10 yards in that game. Because they only attempted what 18 passes in that game? Something like that. That yeah. that 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 right there was the problem. Hey, we shortened the game, we limited Ohio State's possessions. Cool, you still lost. Great. So instead of losing 31 to 28, you lost 17 to 14. Wonderful. But it's what I've always said. If your goal is simply to just limit possessions, if you're still not aggressive within that, like Stanford used to limit possessions with Jim Harbaugh with and, and, and uh, David Shaw with, with Andrew Luck. Michigan limits per- possessions by the way that they play. Do you know what Michigan, Michigan also does? 
They throw the ball down the field. They'll take shots. And so to me, limiting possessions, if that's the end all be, and it seems that it's the end all be all with Notre Dame, right? And that's why I say it like that. It just seems like kind of like that's the goal. Limit possessions, don't turn it over, you know, blah, 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 be great in the trenches, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. Uh, that's all fine and dandy, but you're still way too conservative within yeah. that within that game plan. And and to me, that's that's the mistake. That's where you're you're in error, in my opinion. And until that changes, you know, you, you you're just it's the story's going to be the same. You know, your story's going to be the same. And that's um like right now, Sam Hartman has thrown. According to Pro Football Focus, 46 balls beyond the line of scrimmage, right? And so beyond 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, like that, that's 59 basically in the course of a 13-game season. Last year, Michigan did that. They did, they did 56. J.J. McCarthy threw 56 passes 20 yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage, right? So that – that's like on pace for three more from what Michigan did last year with a red shirt freshman first year starter quarterback who didn't even start the first game of the year because yeah. they started Cade McNamara. So it's still only 13 games or it was, yeah, 13 games. So to me, it's like, that's just not good enough to me. When you brought a guy that had done it over 90 times, these two previous years like that, that's just, that's a philosophical issue that, that, yeah, the injuries made it worse, but that was that didn't they weren't bombing it against Ohio State, and then all of a sudden you lose Jaden Thomas, and you're like, oh shoot, we can't do that anymore, right? right? Like they weren't. I mean, they weren't bombing it against Navy. They had deep balls against NC State, but those deep balls were were, I mean, big plays. I mean, against NC State, but those deep those big plays weren't coming off deep balls. So you had to to put the game away, you know, ball to hold in stays, and then you had the one deep ball that Jaden Thomas dropped, but other it was. It was an in-cut, 20-yard in-cut to Tobias. It was Tyree on a busted play. It was it was holding Stace getting free on a slide route. It, you know, they they haven't been aggressive like that. They were aggressive early against Duke. That's it. And then they just went away from it. And, um, yeah. So the injuries have made it worse, but the problems were already there, in my opinion. And this is kind of similar. A lot of these similar type of questions. You know, how much the offensive struggles can be attributed to O.C. Parker not being able to adjust to the better defenses and defended his offense or maybe not, you know, able to get Hartman to understand. I think there's a little bit of both of that. But again, Ryan, when you're that's your philosophy. You're, when your philosophy is don't take chances in the big games, there's only so many things you can go to as a coordinator. I mean, now the problem is they don't go to the things they should do. If you're going to be that type of offense and you need to be the motion, you need the most motion and shifting offense on the planet if you're going to be that way, which is that's what Michigan does. I mean, they, they use their three tight, they motion, shift, do all these kind of things to gain leverage. Like when Notre Dame does their stuff with 13, does it seem like they're like doing all these things to try to gain a leverage advantage? I don't really think that they're doing that the way that they can and should. And and so, but it's still, it still goes back to the philosophy, right? And and that's the yeah. bigger issue to me. It, well, it, I think it it's is. everything, but yes, it is. it is built off of the philosophy. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Jimmy McGill, who said, anything that makes you feel more positive about next year's offense, I'm worried since we will lose our experience at quarterback and Joe Alt, but hopefully that Freeman-Parker change philosophy and that fixes it. Well, Ryan, you kind of nailed it earlier. They're going to be an explosive athletically football team next year. I mean, you mentioned the receivers, right? We talked about that. We've got Tyree. 
you got Jordan Faze on, you got Tobias coming back, you've got Praylon James, you're going to have Cam Williams coming in. And then, you know, tight end, you're going to be loaded. And then running back, you're going to have Jeremiah Love, Jadarian Price, both in year two. You're going to have Kedron Young and Aeneas Williams coming in. You know, you're going to be loaded with athletes next year. There's no excuse to be a to be this team next year. None. None. And um, so that's the thing that I still – you know encourages me, Ryan, what, what, what makes me be excited about what it could be every year? It's this. It's the thinking of the talent. You know, and then yeah. you've – you know, guys at Great House and Flores aren't explosive athletes, but they're darn good football players that once you put the right pieces around them and use them the way that that, that you should, they become impact players. Uh, you know, I, I think of Eli Raritan. If you know he's now year to a year removed from his knee injury and how you could potentially use him. I watched six, six, 260 pound Cooper Flanagan smoking a dude on a corner route, and you're like, yep. like, seriously, it's your fourth tight end. You know, and you're man, they're going to be talented. They're going to be young. They're going to be very talented next year. And that's what gets me fired up about the offense next year, right? Yeah. I mean, but at some point, I mean, like that optimism is there, right? But like at some mm-hmm. point, it's like optimism needs to turn into actual sure. good play. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I, yeah. Cause I mean, you're right. Every single year we look at this team and say, you know, there's a lot more talents on right. this team and on this offense than what the national yep. people per- perceive sure. and all this type of stuff. But at the you end of the day, it. we're just kind of falling into the same narrative. And yeah, you know, why does, why does everyone say that Notre Dame doesn't have any speed because they don't, they don't use it. Speed. They don't highlight right. the speed. I mean, so yeah. Yep. A lot of questions about the O line, Ryan. We've had multiple questions about this, that from Brock at AB, Matt Brosha, several others have asked us about the uh, O-line for next year. So let's knock – we can kill five birds with one stone. Okay. Um, I mean, starting offensive line for next year, uh, as of today, I'll say – this is me being optimistic, but I'll say Blake Fisher and Emil Wagner, your starting tackles. Your guards are – Billy Shrouth and Charles Jagasaw, not, not likely, but that's, I'm being optimistic here. And your center is Ashton Craig. That's my all optimism off offensive line. I'm going to meet you halfway, Ryan, with optimism plus realistic, uh, of who Joe Rudolph is. I think what we'll see is, is, um, Blake Fisher and Tosh Baker at tackle. And so they'll go with the veteran proven experience there, but then we'll see a little bit of a youth movement inside. And we'll see Jagasaw, Shrouth, and Craig inside. Or at least they move Coogan inside to center and go with the younger guards. So I have a hard time believing that Joe Rudolph is going to go with Jagasaw and Emil Wagner. That's kind of where I'm coming from on that one. Sure. Uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I wouldn't. But I just... Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this stuff that occasionally people say about oh, Blake Fisher might leave for the draft guys. If Blake Fisher leaves for the draft and forget it. That would forget be a not very, very poor decision. <laughs> very, very poor decision. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to read this one because it's for you. Pete Weber says for Ryan, are you at all surprised by the level of success CJ Stroud in Houston so far this season? He's going up against some big boys and looking really nice. I didn't see this for him. This out of him. I- I thought that CJ would make a pretty easy transition to the next level, Pete, but did I think that he would be playing as well as he did the first 
nine games of his career. No, not not to this level. I thought this was more like a year two type of thing that we would see out of CJ as far as maturation. So he has outperformed my expectations for him. But I did think that he would be, but I thought that he would be good as a as far as a traditional rookie quarterback in the sense of transitioning. But he's definitely off to a faster start than I thought. Yeah, he's. Um, I haven't watched anything but the highlights, but the numbers are like holy moly. Yeah, he's off to a really good start. Yeah, we are not Marshall. I watched the UGA highlights. How is it that Carson Beck has these massive throwing lanes? And I watch Notre Dame and their passing lanes are much tighter. Is it different offensive philosophy or coaching? Well, it's it's a little bit of that. It's also, I mean, they've got veteran receivers. So even if the coaching in Notre Dame was good, you still got a lot of young guys that aren't going to be quite as advanced as like Lad McConkey and Rara Thomas and Dominic Lovett, who are all fourth and fifth year, fourth year players, I believe they're all fourth year, third and fourth year players. Uh, and then you've got Brock Powers. He, Brock Powers is going to get separation. I don't care what the system is. He's just that kind of guy. Uh, but it's it goes back to what we've always talked about, Ryan. It's like what you and I talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about like Alabama with Devontae Smith. Yes, Al- Devontae Smith is a great player. But Steve Sarkeesian also did a lot of things to scheme him open. And I just don't know that like, I, 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 Notre Dame doesn't do that a whole lot. They don't do things like use the whole scheme to get a guy free or an a guy isolated. It's all – it's just there's no – and, and if anything, you can say, okay, well, they don't have you know the guys that you want to – no, it actually – if you don't have those great individual players, there's even more reason to try to do things to scheme certain guys open because you don't have those guys can just go win one-on-one. Like Notre Dame calls plays, Ryan, and the way they call plays requires their receivers to win in a way that you can win if you have Miles Boykin and you know, you know, Chase Claypool from 2018 or if you have a veteran – you know, 2019 Chase Claypool or – or 2021 Kevin Austin, sort of, because he would then disappear in some big games and big moments as well. It's not like he was just a great player all the time. You know, so like if you are young and inexperienced and all those kind of things, it's even more reason to scheme guys open and do things different, you know, with motions and shifts and 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 putting guys in different spots and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do something here because we really think we can get this Jaden Greathouse matchup against so and so. And so on this particular snap, we're actually going to have Jalen in the slot, Jaden in the slot, and Chris Tyree outside because we think we can do this, this, and this. And there just isn't that kind of creativity, in my opinion. And when you see a team that's got as much talent as Georgia has doing that, then you also get more and more frustrated with why isn't Notre Dame doing that? Well, they're the talented receiver. Even more reason to do that, in my opinion. And so it just – it's very frustrating. It, It is very frustrating when you see that. So it's a different offensive philosophy and I'm not talking about schematic philosophy. I'm just talking about overall philosophy that then impacts the coaching and the scheme and all those other type of things. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. All right. Let's see if we can get a couple more here before we got to get out of here. Um, Mike Reddy asks, is Notre Dame might not be getting, always getting five-star football players, but it seems like they get a lot of five-star young men. How much of an emphasis does Notre Dame put on evaluating players' character and recruiting? A lot. They put a lot on that, and that's good. That's good. I'm not someone who believes that you have to, you know, go get some questionable character kids because somehow they make better football players. I, I, I don't buy that. You give me a team full with 22 guys that have Manti and Harrison Smiths and 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 Quentin Nelson and Jeremiah Wusukoramoas and 
Aloy Gilman's and, and guys like that's mentality. Will Fuller was a quiet, shy, quiet kid, not a shake up the locker room kind of guy. You give me a bunch of guys like Will Fuller receiver, I'm going to win a lot of flipping football games. So I believe that you need to go get character, but I think you need to make sure that those five-star character kids also have some some fire to them, some toughness to them. Uh, Lohi Gilman was an absolute five-star caliber kid, absolute five-star caliber kid. But, man, that kid played with a lot of fire and heart, man, a lot of fire and heart. Manti Teo, great young man. The dude, Quentin Nelson, great young man, put a lot of fire. Jalen Smith, really good kid, really well-liked from everything I've ever told. Man, when he played on a football field, he played with some swagger to him. I mean, he played with some confidence, and you need guys like that. And um, that I don't think they have enough of. And that's one of the things that was left over from Kelly because Kelly basically just got to the point where he just wanted a bunch of choir boys. And, and you know, great kids, but um, not enough. I want to, I'm a great kid. And if off the football field, I want to shake hands and talk politics and talk religion and talk economics and, and do all those type of things. But on the football field, I want to bash your face in. They don't have enough guys like that. And and that's because Brian Kelly didn't get enough guys like that. I think the current staff is trying to change that. And, um, you know, I think that's uh, that's kind of where, you know, where that needs to be, in my opinion. So, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how it develops and we'll see how it changes. But I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of a mindset change. And it doesn't mean that you're not bringing in five five cal like kingston viliyama asa is absolutely a five-star young man character wise 100 but when you get that kid on the football field he wants to bash your face in you know and, and you don't know what i mean by that right it, it, you know legally and all that but he wants to beat your butt for 60 minutes um you know you look at charles jagas also a football player quiet kid great kid faith background wonderful young man but when he gets on the football field he wants to he wants to maul you for 60 minutes Kedron Young, wonderfully intellectual kid, you know, smart, you know, intelligent, all that. But you get him, he wants to run you over. Jeremiah Love is a very shy, quiet, kind of quirky, a little bit nerdy kind of kid off the football field. You get on the football field, he's got swagger. He wants to embarrass you. He wants to outrun you, juke you, make you miss. You know, so you need more of those guys. You absolutely need more of those guys. And um, I think they're working on that because you, you need a little bit of the combination of both. Right. It's okay to have Joe Waltz who are just, hey, I'm a great kid and I'm gonna lead by example. And the JD Bertrand, it's great to have those kind of guys, but you also need some some of those other guys that play with a little bit of fire. I'm not afraid to get in somebody's face. And if I don't like how you're practicing, I'm gonna let you know about it. I'm gonna let you know about it in front of everybody. And you don't want me to yell at you anymore, then do something about it. Go practice better. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I'll shut up and won't talk to you. And they just need a little bit of that. And I don't know this football team has a lot of that, at least in the older classes. And I think that's something that needs to, to me, that needs to change, in my opinion. Got a couple more for get out of here. Ryan's going to have to bail, guys. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I just want to get these last couple before we go. Sean asked with a super chat. Thank you, Sean. Meant to be a light question, not a criticism of current position group at all. Uh, what would help the current team more? Prime Jimmy Clausen, a QB, or prime Samarj and Stovall receiver? Look, that's an e- – and you know that me – I've said this, Sean. Jimmy Clausen, 2009, was a phenomenal quarterback. I mean, other than Brady 05, the best quarterback I've seen at Notre Dame since, you know, the stuff Tony Rice was doing. It was completely doing completely different. But Jimmy in 09 was a, a – I mean, he was just unreal good. He just – his team sucked. But Sam Hartman's a pretty good quarterback. 
I truly believe that. You give him prime smart Samarj and Stovall, this offense looks a whole lot different. This team looks a whole lot different. This team would be really, really good because they would have those big guys that are proven players that can win on the outside, and they would take more chances. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. That would be that would be would be very big. Would be very big. Right, let's go to a few more here before we get out of here. I thank you for the super chat on that, by the way. Uh, insured by Big asks Heisman thoughts. My Heisman thoughts are the same they've been for the last few weeks. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard me talk about this on the show or not, but I've been saying for at least the last three weeks that, that to me, Jaden Daniels is is the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. I've been saying that for several weeks now. And the reason I say that is, is because I still view the Heisman Trophy as it's supposed to go to the most outstanding player. There's a level of, you know, it's it's not an MVP trophy. It's the most outstanding, you know, player trophy. And, you know, when, when I look at what he does, he literally puts that entire team on his shoulders, but he's also dynamic. It's not that he's just the most valuable, but he's the most dynamic guy. I mean, look what he did this past weekend. And I said, he look, he needed a good, he needed a big game against Alabama, win or lose. He needed a big game against Alabama. And I think he did enough against Bama before he got hurt uh, to be that, you know, he was at 15 of 24 for 219 yards, two touchdowns, got knocked out. You know, also ran for 163 yards in a touchdown against Bama. And he comes out this week against Florida, runs for 234, throws for 330-72. With all due respect to Michael Penix, I mean, Jaden Daniels to me is has been the most dynamic player in college football this year, and it's not really close in my opinion. I mean, you're talking about a guy that right now is number two in college football in passing yards per game. He's number one in college football in passer rating, and he's number one in college football in, 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 in passing touchdowns. So, like, just, just looking at the passing numbers alone, and he's going to rush for 1,000 yards. He's got 918 yards and eight touchdowns. He's going to rush for 1,000 yards when it's all said and done and throw for over 3,500 yards. Like, it's not even close. He, he, this is the most similar to, to Lamar Jackson season we've seen. And so, to me, the Heisman Trophy race should be over. And the fact that it's not over at this point in time, I mean, unless utter collapse from Jaden Daniels, is everything that's wrong with the Heisman Trophy? Because it's going to go to you know people from Marvin Harrison and and JJ McCarthy. Why is that? He should have never been in the conversation to begin with, and he definitely shouldn't be now. You know, Michael Penix is a great player. I love what Michael Penix is doing. He's probably the only one that can even compete with with Jane Daniels when you look at the numbers he's putting up and, and what he means to that offense. I mean, he he's the next closest thing to it. Uh, in in my opinion, because he's obviously able to make plays with his with his arm, and and we saw this weekend made some plays against Utah with his legs. But Jane Daniels is just so beyond dynamic. Uh, uh, it just it's it's really impressive. It really is impressive. All right, let's get to um, last couple questions here. Uh, Ninety nine props BK one. Who would you comp Kenny Minchie to ceiling wise? Would Shadur Sanders be a good comp? My thought process: Shadur Sanders is 6'2", 215, smart and accurate quarterback, athletic, but not Jaden Daniels by any means. No, I would not comp him. Look, my comp for him uh, has been the same. Um, the comp for me w- when he was a recruit, uh, when it came to Kenny Minchie, was Baker Mayfield, and I think that's still true. Uh, I think I think that um, to me, Shadur Sanders is is uh, like you said, he's not. He's not Jaden Daniels by any stretch of the imagination, but he still runs a decent amount. Um, he's kind of minus yards in the season because he gets sacked so much, but he he's, runs and scrambles a lot. There's a lot more freelance to this game. Kenny Minchie's a pocket guy. He's a he's a court he's a, a, a pocket quarterback, um, and 
he's going to do his damage from the pocket. I mean, no moving around in the pocket, you know, he, he can run and, and if you need him to, but you know, he's a pocket guy, he's an off platform, you know, arm angle guy. He's a guy that can, you know, run and throw. And just reminds me a lot of what Baker Mayfield brought to the table. But if you, if you don't respect him, he can also go make a play on you with his legs. And that's how Baker was, you know I mean? When you look at, at Baker in uh, 2017, he threw for 4,600 yards, 43 touchdowns, but he, he ran for 311 and also ran for five touchdowns that season, you know, because if you needed him to, he can go, he can go make a play with his legs. 2016, he had six rushing touchdowns uh, for Oklahoma. He had seven rushing touchdowns in 2015, but he, he was running for 405, 177, 311. That, that's more of what you might see from Kenny as opposed to, you know, running for a, a bunch of yards and things like that. So, you know, to me, that's, that's kind of where I would be at. So, um, Baker Mayfield's the the comp that I like in the, in that in that particular situation. So somebody said Bo Nix. Uh, you know, as far as Heisman Trophy conversation before, uh, to me, I, I need to see Bo go out there and outplay Michael Penix. In my opinion, in the in the Pac-12 title game, I think Bo has done a lot of really good things this season. But I mean, Michael Penix won that game, and 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 I think that Michael Penix is asked to do a lot more than Bo, which leads to some of Bo's great numbers because he's not asked to carry it the same way. The Bo Nix one in versus Michael Penix, to me, I thought they both played well <clears throat> in the matchup they had against each other. But I just think that that Michael's been a little bit more dynamic and he's asked to do a little bit more to me, uh, then, then what, then what Bo is asked to do. That's just really what it kind of comes down to for me. And he did win the head to head battle. That does matter. I mean, wins and losses don't matter, but when you, when you play each other in a game and you look at Michael Penix, you know, at the end of the game, he let his team down and got the score and and Bo couldn't. And so that's what he factors in. But if you're going to ask me who, who I'm bringing into Atlanta, I mean, I'm, I am bringing in three quarterbacks because it's it's basically a a, a quarterback award. Uh, but I mean, my three—if I'm bringing in three, if I'm going to bring in four, the fourth guy would be a. I mean, you could look at a couple other guys, well, but I'd, I'd bring in three. It'd be be um, Jaden Daniels, it'd be Bo Nix, and it'd be Michael Penix. That'd be the three I'm bringing in. If I was voting, it'd be Jaden Daniels one, Michael Penix two, and Bo Nix three. That's that's how I would do it. So, and I know people bring up uh, bring up uh, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and I just I'm sorry. I just he's a heck of a player. He's clearly the number one prospect at, at the position as far as the NFL draft, but he hasn't even been the necessarily the best receiver in college football this year. I think Roma Dunze has been even better. I think that Malik Malik Neighbors has been even better, in my opinion. And you know, yeah, Marvin did a great job against Penn State. But he also did absolutely nothing against um he did absolutely nothing against Notre Dame. He was a non-factor against Notre Dame, in my opinion. If you look at Malik Neighbors, he still made plays in the in the big games they lost. He still went out and made plays. He had 10 for 171 against Bam and a loss. He had eight for 102 and a loss to Ole Miss, and he had six for 67 and a loss to to Florida State. And and so to me, I just think those guys have been have been even better. I mean, against Oregon. 
uh, Roma Dunes, he had eight catches for 128 yards against Utah this past weekend. He had three for 111 and two touchdowns. You look at Marvin Harrison, and he had a great game against Penn State, 11 for 162. Those other guys have done that. But what do you do against Notre Dame? Three for 32. And he got shut down. It's not like it was, oh, they didn't try to go to him. He, he got shut down. And, you know, Indiana pretty much kept him out of the game. And those other guys don't have games like that. So to me, if you're going to take a receiver there, with all due respect to, to, to Marvin Harrison, who is clearly the top draft prospect at the position, this isn't an NFL draft award. It's not who's the most talented guy awards, who's the most dynamic. And as good as he's been, and this isn't at all a knock, and I know how State fans are going to get all in their feelings about Marvin, but he has not been the most dynamic receiver in college football this year. Now, I, I know the reasons why. You know, what would his numbers look like if he was playing Jane Daniels? Way better, and then he may be a guy like that, but he's not. That's not who he is. What would his numbers be if he was playing with, you know, with, with Michael Penix? Probably a lot better because he's a, he's a better talent than those guys. No question. Don't argue that at all. But the reality is, to me, when you look at when you look at those players, those guys have been the more dynamic players. And, you know, I just they they're more productive than Marvin Harrison is. They they just are. I mean, Malik Neighbors leads all of college football in receiving yards. You know, that's that that says a lot to me, right? So yeah, you know, I'm I just I think that's a that's just kind of where I'm at. Somebody just said uh I don't think that's correct. Uh Baggins backup says that Brian Thomas leads the league in catches and touchdowns. And I'm pretty sure he does not lead the team in catches. Brian Thomas leads the league in potentially in receiving touchdowns, but he is 21 catches behind Malik neighbors in catches on the season. So it is not accurate that he leads the league in catches. So um, just so we're, we're clear on that. So he, he may, I'm going to look and see, he may lead the sec in receiving touchdowns but he doesn't lead him in catches. Malik Neighbors does. Malik Neighbors leads uh, the SEC in catches, 72, and receiving yards. He leads all of college football in receiving yards at 1284. So he's had a heck of a season, in my opinion. And Malik Neighbors is also tied for seventh in catches on the season. So the biggest super chat that I want to look at, Um, there's some really weird takes right now some really weird receiver takes going on in the chat right now and I'm, I'm not quite sure uh where they're coming from but uh it's very 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 strange so i don't uh i don't know where some of this is coming from but uh somebody just said malik washington leads is averaging 200 yards per game it's not even close what are you talking about the same close to his production number. So I don't, whatever. Anyway. All right. That's going to do it guys. I'm my, my voice is shot and uh, it's been a very, very long show. So I, I apologize for the strange end, but, uh, but my, my, my voice is gone. So anyway, do us a favor folks. I'll be back. Ryan, I'll be back tomorrow. We'll, we'll preview the wake forest game, break down the wake forest game. So I apologize that, uh, that I faded here down the stretch, but uh, it was, it was fun to be back with you guys. It was fun to be able to do a show again. I'm going to start pumping out content again. I was obviously completely out last week, didn't put hardly any articles out and all that, and I do do apologize, but I'm back at it here uh, this week and ready to rock and roll and and looking forward to doing some more shows and, and getting a lot of content out. We'll obviously be previewing and breaking down the, the Wake Forest game this week, and and make sure you check that out at irishbreakdown.com. Definitely sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. You can be normal members, $4.99 a month for to be a monthly member. 
if an annual member is $49.99 for the year. And uh, you can also, if you want to support us and above and beyond the normal monthly membership, you can join the Shamrock Blue or Gold Clubs. Those are our IB uh, booster clubs and you get some merch with it. If you go, join the Shamrock or the the uh, Blue Club, you get a free IB Club mug that only goes out to IB Club members. It cannot be bought in the IB store. It can only be given if you're a Gold, blue, a gold Club, Blue or or Shamrock Club member. If you're if you join the Gold Club, which we greatly appreciate since it's an annual membership type deal and you can upgrade to it. You not only get the IB Club mug, but you also get an IB Gold an IB Gold Club t-shirt um, sent to you as well. So you're definitely going to check that out. And uh, we always appreciate all that level of support, especially now uh, as I uh, as I look to uh, uh, all these things that I'm going to be uh, having to, to, to bring up um, here moving forward. So anyway... Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you here again here very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.